Good afternoon. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to the show. We're going to jump to it right away. We have a lot of things to cover this afternoon. Today, we start a two-part series on the JFK assassination. Yeah, you heard right, the JFK assassination. Mark Lane returns. Many fans of the show remember Mark Lane was here several weeks ago. He was down in Jonestown during the massacre. He told us his real-life story. He was also the lawyer for AIM, the American Indian Movement. That's Wounded Knee, 1973, the Rising there. All those shows are in the archives. Real life history, folks, as always, I say. www.brenthollandshow.com. Today, Mark Lane was the first whistleblower on the JFK assassination. From the outset, things were just not right. The cover up started immediately. And I say cover up purposely because I, for one, believe 110% that there was a conspiracy to assassinate President John F. Kennedy. Without hesitation, I can say that there are just too many anomalies and coincidences, quote unquote. Mark Lane was hired by Marguerite Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, her son, folks. He was the purported assassin of President Kennedy. Supposed to be only one lone gunman fired the shot from behind President Kennedy. Mark Lane did the investigation and found out it was impossible for Lee Harvey Oswald to have even shot a rifle that day, let alone assassinate the president. Mark Lane. Not one shred of evidence. Not one shred of evidence which moved in the direction of showing that Oswald had been involved in any shooting at all that day. In fact, the uh, president was killed by a rifle shot, and a paraffin cast test taken by the Dallas police showed that there was no nitrates in suspension on his face or on uh, one hand, meaning that he could not have fired a rifle. Remember that he was arrested mm-hmm. shortly after the assassination, and even Washington would not have removed those uh, traces. So the evidence was only that Oswald could not have killed the president. This afternoon, real living history. Mark Lane and the JFK assassination, right now on Brent Holland. and running folks i'm speaking with mark lane tonight mark lane of course was one of the first whistleblowers if you will in the jfk assassination he has had an amazing career just let me tell you a little bit about that i'm going to read this from the biography section of his book plausible denial mark lane is an author lawyer teacher lecturer and filmmaker and that's what he does in his spare time folks he has written eight books on contemporary legal issues ranging from an analysis of the assassination of reverend martin luther king jr to an account of the facts surrounding are you ready for this 
the Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, that's right. Mark was the lawyer for Jim Jones and the People's Temple. Mark Lane's highly acclaimed bestseller, Rush to Judgment, a critique of the Warren Commission, and as you all know, the Warren Commission, folks, uh, for those of you that weren't around, is the commission that was set up just after JFK's assassination, November 22nd, 1963, to investigate the assassination. And uh, we all know now that that Warren Commission report is full of holes. And Plausible Denial, the book I have right in my hands right now, presents the startling results of that pursuit. Mark Lane has served in the New York State Legislature, oh yeah, and worked as a New York City campaign manager for John F. Kennedy himself. Lane represented the American Indian Movement, AIM. Now again, this is a very historical fact, at Wounded Knee, 1973, and he was the only public official arrested as a Freedom Rider. Freedom Riders, folks, again, for the folks that weren't around during that time, during the Civil Rights Movement in the 60s, Freedom Riders went on buses from city to city and demonstrated for civil rights for black Americans. I want to welcome Mark Lane to the show for the very first time. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to talk with you. Let's jump in right away, shall we? Let's start off with JFK. You first met him in 1960. There's a great picture in Plausible Denial, your book, of you and JFK. I was actually a candidate for the New York State Legislature. He was a candidate for President of the United States. He asked me to meet with him and later to become one of the two campaign managers for him for New York City in his presidential campaign. At that time, the Democratic Party was split. There was the old guard, Tammany Hall, led by Carmine DeSapio and organized crime. That was one section. And then there's a new section which we formed, that is, I did, together with Eleanor Roosevelt, former Governor Lehman, Tom Timletter, former Secretary of the Air Force, etc. A whole group of people got together to form a reformed Democratic movement. And Kennedy was running for president and wanted to have everybody in the Democratic Party support him. So they had the regular organization appoint one person to be his campaign manager, co-campaign manager for New York City. And I was chosen by the reform movement to represent Eleanor Roosevelt and Governor Lehman and others in our movement. And so I met with him. He endorsed me and I supported him. He supported me. We were both elected. His election was a revolution in large measure in terms of what was to take place. And then three years later, he was assassinated. And when he was, J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, on the very day of the assassination, said that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone assassin. He acted alone. There was no conspiracy. That's before the investigation began. And then the FBI issued a report stating basically that the new president, Lyndon Johnson, appointed a commission led by Earl Warren, who was the chief justice of the United States, but he wasn't the most active member. The most active member of the Warren Commission was Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles had been the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, who was fired by John Kennedy for lying to him about the Bad Pigs invasion, a whole series of events which took place. And so Kennedy fired Dulles, and now when President Kennedy was killed, Dulles basically ran the commission to investigate the murder of President Kennedy, which put him in a key position because the CIA had actually killed President Kennedy, and his role was to cover that up, and he did that really well. The Warren Commission report was released the next year to the absolute support of everybody, everyone in the news media, New York Times, CBS, NBC, everyone in the news media in America said it was the greatest thing that had happened, was considered to be the greatest investigation in the history of America, etc. The only problem was that I knew it was not true. And so I conducted my own investigation. I talked to key witnesses, went down to Dallas, etc., and I wrote a book which not one publisher in America would publish. Not one. I went to every publisher. It was called Rush to Judgment. 
I ended up in London talking to an old conservative firm there, the Bodley Head, about 100 years old, and they agreed to publish it. And when they did, one American company said they would publish it, and it became the number one best-selling book, according to the New York Times, that year when it was published. Number one best-selling book in America for 1966. Came out paperback the next year. Number one best-selling book in America in paperback, and then in 23 other countries as well. But it was a book which shattered the secrecy surrounding the assassination of President Kennedy. He offered no theories, no speculation, merely compared the facts to the conclusions reached by the Warren Commission. I never thought it would be a best-selling book. It had no sex in it, no pictures, and, and it had 5,000 citations and references, almost like a law book, just comparing the, what the Warren Commission said to what the facts were. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Okay, let's just back up a second. And That's how it all began. Okay. What didn't smell right to you right off at the beginning? Because, you know, I was six years old when President Kennedy was killed. And I remember where I was. And I always remember my parents saying, especially when Harvey Oswald, who folks, as you know, was the purported assassin, was killed only three days after by a fellow by the name of Jack Ruby. And once it came noted that Jack Ruby indeed had mafia connections, the whole thing just kind of didn't smell right. What did it for you? Well, Ruby, that played a big part, of course. As most people in this country here in Canada, I'm sure, saw it, it was a live murder on television. Ruby come out and fire a shot and kill Lee Harvey Oswald as he was in handcuffed and in the two police officers in the basements of Dallas Police on Court's building. Jack Ruby walked up with a gun and the building was allegedly sealed off. He walked up with a gun and fired the shot and, and killed Oswald. That course, those who had believed that Hoover was correct, the director of the FBI, in stating that Oswald was a lone assassin, were sort of astonished by this. Ruby actually worked for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and Ruby was also on the staff as an investigator for Richard Nixon, who at that point was a member of Congress for the House on American Activities Committee. Ruby worked for him. All of these documents came out many, many years later, but they're official documents, and there's no question that these things are so. But I guess the killing of Oswald and, and seeing Oswald originally when he was being questioned by the reporters as they moved him from one room to another, short little glimpses of him. He said, I don't know what they're talking about. Will some lawyer come forward and give me representation? I didn't do anything. I don't know what they're talking about. Then, of course, there was no trial because he was killed. Of all of the evidence being covered up, most of it was by the government at that point, the single most obvious fact of the destruction of evidence was the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. If Oswald had not been murdered, he would have been tried presumably, since he's, they said he did it. And there was not one shred of evidence, not one shred of evidence, which moved in the direction of showing that Oswald had been involved in any shooting at all that day. In fact, the uh, president was killed by a rifle shot, and a paraffin cast test taken by the Dallas police showed that there was no nitrates in suspension on his face or on uh, one hand, meaning that he could not have fired a rifle. Remember that he was arrested mm-hmm. shortly after the assassination. And even Washington would not have removed those uh, traces. So the evidence was only that Oswald could not have killed the president. 
and yet there was such a resistance in the United States. No one would talk about it. Now we're talking about it, and we've been talking about it for years, but from the time of the arrest of Lee Harvey Oswald for more than a year and a half, not one single newspaper, not one single radio or TV station permitted one word of dissent in America. Not one word of dissent in America from the official version. You couldn't get on the air and talk about it. I did reach people on, on local radio stations in the United States, and the only way I reached people in more than one city at one time was when I went to Canada and was involved in, in radio broadcasts, CBC and other Canadian radio stations, which, of course, got came into border cities, certainly like Detroit and many other cities in the United States. That was the only way I could reach people in America in more than one city at a time was by broadcasting from Canada. Folks, we are lucky to have a living history guest tonight. Our guest tonight is Mark Lane. He's the best-selling author of Rush to Judgment. Rush to Judgment is the first book that blew the whistle on the Warren Commission and challenged the Warren Commission's findings, because there were so many holes, not only in the investigation, but in the outcome. It was so obvious that it was a cover-up, even back then in 1964. Subsequent to that, Rush to Judgment was made into perhaps the standard, if you will, the benchmark of all films on the assassination. You can find copies of it on YouTube, and I will put those links. I would encourage you all to watch it. Don't forget, this was the era before, way before the Internet. If you were doing research, you had to go through the files manually. There was no plugging in something into Google and then finding all the hits and just choosing the ones that oh, best. Oh, yeah, life has changed so much. Oh. Uh, believe me, I've been writing books since that time, and more recently, too. I just finished my autobiography. Let's talk about that, Mark. I've been working on it for 10 years. And I just finished it. I've been practicing now for 60 years. Six Wait a second. Years. Did you start practicing when you were, what, two years old, three years old? No, well, not that young. But, uh, and I spent time in the Army during World War II and then came out and uh, went to college and law school and very quickly and then started practicing. But 60 years, when I, I write my autobiography, it's like writing the biography of someone else. What was he doing 55 years ago? I remember a lot of things, but I don't have notes about everything that I did, even many of the important things that I thought were important, still think probably were. But with the Internet, I can discover everything. Of course, I also have, under the Freedom of Information Act, which I brought, actions which I brought to, together with the American Civil Liberties Union, we were the first ones to utilize the Freedom of Information Act, which was the one piece of reform legislation that came out of the Watergate efforts. And so they passed the Freedom of Information Act, saying that we could get a lot of documents. Of course, the government didn't want the CIA, FBI did not want to reveal documents. We brought actions in the United States District Court, the federal court, and they ordered the production of these documents. The greatest treasure trove for me, in looking back over what I did each year, is reading the FBI reports, because I was constantly under surveillance by the FBI, and they wrote reports about everything that I did, which plane I took, what city I was in. So it helped me put dates on various things that I was doing at that time, because they kept a record, even though I did not. One thing I want to get over to the folks, too, Marguerite Oswald folks who was Lee Harvey Oswald's mom approached Mark Lane to represent Lee Harvey Oswald after he was killed. Mark, can you just tell the folks a little bit about how that came about? I wrote an article about the Kennedy assassination. I interviewed a couple of witnesses by telephone called Jean Hill. She was there. You can see her pictures of the Zapruder film. You can see her there. But I called her. I read her name in the New York Times, and I called her up, told her I was looking into this. And uh, she said, well, do you know what Ely Plaza looks like? I said, no, I'm up to Dallas. She said, will explain it to you. And then she said, up, and the shots came from a grassy knoll. 
which was on the president's right side. And I said, can I tape this? And she said, of course. And I said, and I released that information to some of the news media. That's how that little piece, that little green hill, got the name Grassy Knoll. And she didn't even know that she had named it. She was just describing it to me. But I met her many years later and said, do you know that you're the one who named it the Grassy Knoll? And she said, I didn't know that until I read your book, Citizens Assembly. Well, you said it, but I, I didn't know that I was named it. In any event, I got a lot of information. and wrote an article, and not one newspaper... Not one magazine, not one scholarly publication, no one in America would publish it. This was in 1964. No one would publish a word that I wrote. It was an analysis of the evidence that we knew at that time, and it didn't reach any conclusions, but said there has to be a more serious investigation than what's taking place now, because these are serious questions which have to be addressed. And I raised a lot of questions based upon what witnesses had said, and uh, no one published it. And then I got a phone call from Jim Aronson, who was the editor of the National Guardian, newspaper doesn't exist anymore, it's a publication of the left, it was a publication of the left, and they said we'd like to see it, and I said I don't want to start this off in a political way on the left or the right or anyplace else. You can see it, but you can't publish it. And they had it, and they said we want to publish it, and I said I'm trying to get it and look or put some of these other places, which are allegedly non-political. He said, well, we want to publish it, and finally when no one else would, I gave it to the Guardian. And it became a huge bestseller. It was a relatively small, it was a national publication, but not with a large circulation. But they printed an additional 100,000 copies of just that part of the newspaper, the supplements of the newspaper. It was a huge thing, 110,000 words or more. Today, I got a phone call from Marguerite Oswald. It seems that a woman named Shirley Martin in Hominy, Oklahoma, I didn't know her, I didn't know there was a city called Hominy, Oklahoma, she read it and sent it to Marguerite Oswald. She didn't know Marguerite Oswald either, but she just said, this is something you ought to read. And so Marguerite Oswald called me, the counsel for someone who's not alive, and I can't talk to him and find out what his position is. But what I will do is I'll conduct an independent inquiry, if you like, but whatever the facts show, even if it shows you your son was guilty, I'm going to have to release it because it's not an attorney-client matter because I'm not going to be representing him. She said, that's all right, I'm sure he's innocent. So I went, I called the commission, wrote to the commission, said I'd like to appear, and I told them the purpose, and they said, no, we will have closed hearings, everything's top secret, and nothing will be revealed, and you cannot be present. Except they called me twice as a witness. I'm the only critic of the Warren Commission who ever actually testified before the Warren Commission. In any event, that's how I got involved in it. And the more I was involved, the more interested I was, and the more I talked to witnesses all over the place, all the witnesses in Dallas. Uh, and I actually interviewed them on film and released a documentary film called Rush to Judgment, which has the actual voices and pictures of interviews with people who were eyewitnesses to the assassination, eyewitnesses to how Ruby got into the basement, all of that kind of stuff which had been covered up. That's the history of how I got involved. I never planned it to be something which would dominate so much of my life. Folks, our guest tonight, of course, Mark Lane, has been a lawyer for Lee Harvey Oswald, has been a lawyer for AIM, the American Indian um, Movement. Thank you very much. I was going to say Indigenous Movement during Wounded Knee, 1973. And, of course, Jonestown, the People's Temple, Jim Jones, 1978. Got a few more questions on the JFK conspiracy. As most people who are fans of this show know, we've had first-person witnesses on, too. Dr. McClellan's been on. Uh, Mark, just to let you know. James Abraham Bolden. Absolutely. James Tague's been on as well, as uh-huh. well as all the uh, the top-notch researchers uh, involved in the case. I actually uh, know A. Bolden. I interviewed him when he was in prison. I knew that that was outrageous. And he talks about this in his book, Echoes from Dealing Plaza. That's right. And that is that when I heard that he was sent to this penitentiary where there is 
part of the prison is a mental ward. I was very concerned, and I told him I was really concerned about that, that they might try to put him in this mental ward and claim that he was insane. Of course, what he had to say was he was a member of the Secret Service, as you know. He was the uh, black American, yes, right. the only the first black person ever on the White House detail of the Secret Service, personally selected by John Kennedy That's right. to protect him. He's an American and, hero, folks, a true American yeah. hero. And uh, he got there, and fellow Secret Service agents, a number of them said, we will never put our body in place in front of the president if they try to kill him. He's a nigger lover. Mm. He's destroyed America. And uh, if he gets killed, that's fine. We will never never do anything to protect him. And if you look at the Zapruder film, that's an 8 millimeter film, Ellen Howell, camera taken by Abraham Zapruder, who's up there on the grass, you know, filming the assassination. He thought he was going to film the president going by in a motorcade and a parade. Instead, he filmed the assassination of the president. The car slowed down almost to a stop. And of course, the first training of the Secret Service is, if there's any danger, you hear a shot or anything like that, step on the gas, get out of there. Exactly. Instead, they did just the reverse. The car was driven by a Secret Service agent. The right front of the car, the passenger side of the front seat, was another Secret Service agent. His job was to leap over the seat and knock the president down and cover him with his body. He had 5.6 seconds, which is an attorney after a shot is fired at the president, and he never moved. If he had knocked the president down after the first bullet hit the president in the back, Kennedy would have survived, obviously. But he took no position at all. He just stayed perfectly still as the car almost came to a stop, and then the president was assassinated. Bolden then provided information. He wanted to tell the Warren Commission that the Secret Service had, in fact, said, in essence, that's what they would do. If there was an attempt to kill the president, they would not protect him. When uh, he was trying to contact the Warren Commission, instead he was arrested and framed and sent to prison. And then they're going to send him in a mental institution. But I had warned him that the prison he was going to had a mental ward and they have to go through a whole big procedure to move someone from the prison part to the mental ward part, which they didn't do. They just put him in that mental ward, violating all of their own regulations, and they started giving him these mind-altering drugs. About this, there's no question. He writes about it, and it's really clear there's a lawsuit about it. And at that point, he wrote a letter to his wife. Since he knew that this was a possibility, we had discussed it, he wrote a letter to his wife, and they had a code, because he knew everything would be read, and the code was that if you see an eye which has a circle dot, I think that's what it was, a circle dot on it, instead of just a point, just a little circle around it, that means contact a lawyer, get someone down here once. She got that letter, got the lawyer down there, they found he was in a mental ward, they got him out immediately back into the prison facility. But that's how that was thwarted. Anyway, he is an American hero, and I just met him uh, before he went to prison and spent some time with him recently because I filmed also an interview of him for our new expanded documentary, and he plays a major part in it, and I have the greatest respect for him. He's, a, well, he's on your show, you know. Oh, he's been on the show twice. and He has, huh? Oh, folks, he's just the, the most wonderful, warm human being you'll ever want to speak with. Yeah. He is truly um, just an amazing person. And steadfast in his belief, no matter what they did to him, he just stood up against insurmountable persecution and stood his ground. And yes, he, tr- he truly is an exceptional role model. If you've got kids out there, folks, and you want a true role model, that's the guy for you. The shows are there, www.brenthollandshow.com. It's in the archives. As Mark Lane, who was our guest today, his show will be in the archives. We're talking about the JFK assassination, of course. I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there want to know why 
Kennedy was killed. And I will come back to the CIA. I know about a half an hour ago, Mark mentioned that he believes the CIA killed JFK. And he's got some great proof relaying to that thesis. We'll come back to that in a second. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com Why was JFK killed, and why should people today even care what happened some 47 years ago? I wrote the legislation which set up the House Select Committee on Assassinations as a committee of the United States House of Representatives. And I traveled around the country, spoke at 180 colleges and universities and law schools, formed citizens' commissions of inquiry at each of them, and together all of us got more than a million letters and telegrams to members of Congress demanding that there be an investigation. And so they formed the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And a lot of people don't realize that... I mean, there are some a few people who say the Warren Commission was correct, et cetera, and that's the official government position. It's not the official government position. The last official government position on the question was the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which said in all probability there had been a conspiracy to kill President that's Kennedy, right. and in all probability there had been a conspiracy to kill Martin Luther King Jr. That's right. So that's the official position of the United States government now, which a lot of people miss. John Kennedy was about to dissolve the Central Intelligence Agency because he felt that they had, he knew that they had, deliberately misled him on any number of matters. He was about to end the war in Vietnam, which the CIA at that time said it may be a dirty little war, but it's the only one we have. It was a war basically run in large measure by the Central Intelligence Agency. And whatever other motives there could have been, we don't know. We did have a trial on this question, and most people don't know about this. That's what the book Plausible Denial that you have made reference to. To it, right? E. Howard Hunt, the Watergate burglar, who was a convict, was named in a very right-wing newspaper called The Spotlight in an article by Victor Marchetti, who had been an officer of the CIA, who had left that organization, and said that Hunt was involved with the CIA in the assassination of President Kennedy. Hunt came out of prison and sued the newspaper and won, and they awarded him $650,000 for his good reputation, although they just got out of prison after some years for trying to destroy the American democracy and the Watergate. In any event, he filed a lawsuit and he won, but an error was made by the judge and instructions to the jury and was sent back for a new trial. And then the newspaper asked me to represent them. I'd never heard of the newspaper. I didn't even know about the story at all. But they then asked me to represent them. I did, and we won the case. And what was our defense? That the article was correct. Not basically absence of malice or something, those technical defenses. I said to the jury, the CIA killed your president, and we're going to prove it to you at this trial. And the full woman came out. We won the case unanimously. The full woman came out and said, uh, when we started this case, I believed in mom, apple pie, and the American justice system. Now I believe in mom and apple pie. Mm. And she said, there's no doubt in my mind that we are convinced that the CIA killed our president. So we have a jury verdict, the only jury verdict on the question. It was a jury chosen by both sides to be impartial and fair. A very fair judge at the trial will allow just relevant evidence in. They heard the evidence and that was their conclusion. So we have the committee of the Congress and we have the jury verdict. If you thought what Mark just said was explosive, stick around. Next time on Brent Holland, Mark Lane exposes 
the who and the why of the assassination, and you'll never believe what agency was behind it. Mark Lane. I recently been talking to St. John Hunt, who was Howard Hunt's son. His mother said to him that his father had been in Dallas, and St. John Hunt said when my father was dying, he said to me, Mark Lane was right, I and the CIA were involved in the assassination, and I was correct, and he had played a part, and St. John Hunt said that to me in writing, actually. Wow, that's explosive, Mark. She also said that Jerry Patrick Henning yes, was part yes. of it. Now, he also was a CIA killer, we know that. That's right. You're listening to The Brent Holland Show. For more information on today's guests, as well as free podcasts and downloads, please go to the www.brenthollandshow.com website. www.brenthollandshow.com As always, www.brenthollandshow.com do your real live history research there. Grab those quotes from the people that went through these tumultuous times in their own words. I'm Brent Holland. Join us next time. Don't miss that show. If you want to know who killed President Kennedy, see you next time. Yeah.